Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. It's Bleacher Blums. We've opened the gates. Get your butts in here and get seated because we are going to set this thing off. It is... That's the beautiful thing about baseball is you never know what day it is. I made fun of it the other day when you go, hey, what is today? And ballplayers are normally give you the number because you know what date because you got to be in a certain place. You know what time the game is. But nobody ever really goes, oh, it's Saturday the 16th because it's never Saturday the 16th. It's always Tuesday. That's I kind of made fun of that the other day because Todd and I, we talk about it all the time. You know, hey, the Astros are playing the Mariners on and it gets quiet. We have to look it up. And then I go, Tuesday. <laughs> And of course, it's not Tuesday, but today is Monday the 16th. We are at September 16th, and I think the season should end right now. I'm just going to tease it a little bit, hang around for Blum and Blummer, but I think the season should be over as of yesterday. But I'll get to that a little bit later. But it is a Monday, and guess what? I don't have a job today. I've got the day off, and guess where I'm at? I'm on Bleacher Blum's podcast with my good buddy, David Tuttle, and I'm just here to tell everybody who's in their car commuting bitching and moaning about Monday, you can tell Monday to suck it because it's Monday, my off day, and I'm on my podcast with David Tuttle. Tuttle, how are we doing this week, man? I'm doing great. I don't have the day off either, but I mean, I would rather do this than do real work. So here we are. I laugh because I've been out of baseball longer than I played baseball. And what makes me laugh is when my wife and I first started dating, I'd be like, let's go to the movies on like Tuesday afternoon at 11 a.m. There's no one there. It's great. She's like... (laughs) No human being can go to the movies at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. I'm like, well, I can. Like, you know, I work at night and I this is the only day off I have for 37 days. Like, I'm going to go to the movies at 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. So it does make me laugh. Yeah, that part is kind of funny. And you know what else baseball will do to you is it will teach you to be already independent, but it'll it'll teach you. And it's a little bit easier nowadays with a smartphone because you can sit down at a restaurant, eat by yourself, but you're not really by yourself. You got your Twitter account. You got your Instagram. Instagram. Uh, you could read some articles, catch up on some interesting news. But I remember when I was in the minor leagues, if I couldn't find that guy or didn't have that group of friends, it was like, hey, man, let's go to a movie at 11 o'clock. It was always be like, yes, could I get a ticket for one, please, <laughs> to go watch the movie? Or uh, yes, uh, how many in your party, sir, at the restaurant? And you're like, uh, it's, ju- it's just me. Uh, me and me and Han Solo are going to go over here and have a bite to eat. And I still do that to this day, but it is a little bit easier you know, going over and having a bite to eat because I could stare at my smartphone a little bit more than in the past when I'd have to sit there and just kind of like stare at everybody else and hang out with myself. When I played, I didn't even have a smartphone. Yeah. Yes, I'm that guy who screaming at the clouds. I didn't even have a cell phone. But that USA Today, we've talked about that on the podcast where it was like, oh, yeah. quickly, how quickly can I go down to the lobby, get the free USA Today? And if you didn't have a lunch companion, like you said, or a brunch or a liner companion the lunch dinner combination before you went to the clubhouse that usa today was your best friend i read every so you know like all right i guess i'll do the crossword today too like what's happening in the business world dude i love the fact that you brought the crossword because if you've been following me on instagram or twitter you know that i i am a i'm a crossword guy and a lot of the reason why i am that crossword guy is because of when i was in the minor leagues floating around and like you said you'd race down try and get that last free usa today so you could motor through that have somebody to keep you company at that meal that you were having with nobody else and i would eventually get to that crossword puzzle and i'd be like okay i'm going to start trying to grind this thing out and it became a habit and now i love doing uh, crosswords especially the usa today ones because they're a little more easy, shall we say. Um, And it kind of morphed into a situation when we would travel. There was a trainer on the Astros. I would buy the $7 New York Times every Sunday, and I would pull the New York Times Sunday puzzle out, and it would take almost a team effort to try and get that thing done. So that was a lot of fun and great memories of the minor leagues. You know, Tuttle and I love talking about that kind of stuff because we have that in common, that ma- that baseball past and a lot of those stories that we conjure up here to start some of these podcasts. But we've got to give you a little bit of an update or a reminder that our website is active. You can go to bleacherblums.com, all kinds of stuff there. You can find out this is this is going to be great. This just popped in my head, but you can find out a little more about myself, Jeff Blum and Most of all, I think what a lot of fans are kind of intrigued about is finding out a little more about David Tuttle. And he's starting to get a little bit of a fan base. And there's a certain someone out there that really 
really feels that David Tuttle has, you know, we're selling him short by putting him on the podcast. Eventually, this may have to be a a, a YouTube channel because we got to get Tuttle's face out there. But you get a chance to see Tuttle's face, learn a little bit more about him, get to the podcast. We have archives in there for you guys to get after. And it's also a good way to contact us too, because we want to start doing a mailbag. And if you get on that website, you can email us your questions, your comments, your shout outs. I think Tuttle, we've got a couple already. And just to give you an idea, I think Tuttle has an example of some of the stuff that's coming in already. Yeah, absolutely. So what's great about the uh, website is you can reach out to us directly. We got quite a few uh, questions and mailbag uh, shout outs, I guess, for lack of a better word. And Meredith S sent an email asking if we've considered doing after game recaps of the playoff games as we'll be stuck listening to the national announcers. Sounds like that's a little dig on them as well. But she said, I think it'd be great to get both of your perspectives after each game, though that may be asking a lot. Well, Meredith S., you may be thrilled to know that when Jeff clocks out for the last time here at the end of the season, although it'll be too late or later than he would like, he wanted the season to end yesterday or today. When the season ends, he is not going to just pack it in and uh, take his family on vacation. We are planning on doing playoff recaps and playoff updates for all the games. We haven't decided whether we're going to do it every game or after every other day, maybe after a couple games, but that's actually in the cards. And uh, so you ask on Mailbag Monday or Mailbag Tuesday and you receive. That's good stuff. And it's all on the website, bleacherblums.com. So a lot of exciting stuff going on. And I do understand and we do get a lot of responses as far as what happens during the playoffs. You know, I know it goes national. I know not everybody enjoys the national broadcast. And for me personally, I wish it was a little more local or included maybe some of the local talent that understands these ball clubs a little bit more. You know, in the NBA, I don't know if you know this, Tuttle, but the first round of the playoffs is actually covered by the local regional sports station, which is kind of cool. So you kind of get that extended playoff uh, commentary from your guys. And I think that's a really good idea, especially in the early rounds, because there's so many. And that's probably where Tuttle and I are trying to figure out the logistics and timing and scheduling of how to talk about this. We will be talking plenty about the Astros, but Tuttle and I wanted to do something a little more well-rounded and cover the wild card games for both the National League and American League and then get into the NLDS because there's two, two series in the NLDS and then there's two series in the ALDS. So, yes, we will be doing playoff podcasts just strictly on baseball. So count on that. Mark that on your calendar because Tuttle and I are going to iron things out and give you guys some dates to count on that. But if you've already subscribed, you know you don't have to make the date. You know it's going to pop up and give you that alert to tell you that we have another podcast out. So make sure you spread the word, subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, get them to subscribe because we are going to be working extra hard to give you guys the information and a lot of the noise that you guys want. And with that being said about the website, we're getting even more support for the Bleacher Blums podcast, and it comes from Manscaped. They are the number one men's grooming below the belt company. They offer precision engineered tools for your family jewels. That is why Manscaped has re redesigned the electric trimmer, so no more of those nicks and cuts on your nuts. These guys have perfected their lawnmower 2.0. It has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag those precious jewels. And you know what? They've got a bunch of other products out there. And the one that I actually enjoyed, and I got this before the weekend, thank goodness, because we went to Kansas City and it wasn't fall in Kansas City. It was still pretty warm. It was about 90 degrees on that day game. 90 degrees sitting around watching a baseball game. Gets a little moist in those nether regions, shall we say. And then I had to hop on a plane and then I had to hop in my car. I drive home. And of course, I've been away for a while and I want to be fresh just in case that magic moment happens. And the Manscaped Crop Preserver is saving my junk. The anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer is a nice little pick-me-up. And they've also got some wipes in there. We also have a 20% gift code that we are going to give to you to go to manscaped.com. They are going to offer you free shipping and 20% off with code BLUMS, B-L-U-M-S, at manscaped.com. Tuttle, how do you feel about this stuff? Or is that the right thing to ask? Yeah. Hey, this is great. We have a sponsor. I'm super excited about it. So this is the one and only time I feel like we can break the uh, what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse mantra. You've got daughters. I've got daughters. My mom really enjoys the podcast. But, you know, this is the way it goes. So what happens in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse. 
We all know that we want to stay fresh, clean, organized, all of that stuff. And I will say this, the bottom line is you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face that you're using down below. That's it. That's gross. It's nasty. Nobody wants to kiss you on the face if you're using the same trimmer upstairs and downstairs. So we do have that 20% off discount code. It's get 20% off and free shipping with the code BLUMS, B-L-U-M-S at manscaped.com. And with that being said, we're going to move on to some baseball. And most notably, the Houston Astros here give you some updates on that. I feel like we have talked a lot about being the best team in baseball and what that means. A lot of things come with that. Obviously, you can say in the year of 2019, if the Astros go out and get the best record in baseball, beat out the Dodgers, beat out the Yankees, then you can say, yes, we were the best team in baseball. And what that affords you is home field advantage. We talked a lot about that last podcast on how home field advantage works. Is it necessary? Is it something you want to go for? I think Tuttle and I agree in a sense that you do want to be able to have that home field advantage moving forward, especially in the playoffs, because every game is a sellout. Every fan is going to be on your side when you're at home. If we stop the season right now, the Astros would be tied with the New York Yankees as far as record is concerned. And a lot of people say, what if they are tied? Well, here's your answer. In the head-to-head matchup, the Astros have beat the New York Yankees, so the Astros would gain home field advantage over the Yankees in the playoffs if they happen to meet in the ALCS. But that being said, I want to get a little bit deeper into this wild card situation because the Oakland A's refuse to lose. The Tampa Bay Rays have moved into that second spot, and I think the Indians are starting to drop off a little bit. So if the playoffs ended, I mean, if the season ended today, the playoff matchups would be this. The Houston Astros would be playing either the Oakland A's or the Tampa Bay Rays. And just to give you an idea, the Astros are 11-8 against the Oakland A's, having played them 19 times within their division. And obviously the A's in the last maybe week or so have, I would say, dominated the Astros with the runs runs they put up and the pitching they've used to suppress what the Astros are going out there doing. They've got Sean Manaya, They've got a young man, a left-hander, Lazardo, coming out of their bullpen that's been phenomenal. And the other team that they might end up playing is the Tampa Bay Rays. And they actually have a losing record against the Tampa Bay Rays, which is interesting to me. I don't necessarily fear the Tampa Bay Rays offense, but I do fear their pitching staff. I feel like their pitching staff goes out and does a very good job. But the A's and Rays, ironically, will be playing in a playoff game, a one-and-done type game, win to get in, however you want to call it. The Yankees would be playing the Minnesota Twins as the two-seed against the three-seed. So... Tuttle, I want to hear your thoughts on that. And while I gather my thoughts and listen to you, I will respond to that. But do you have any interest or ideas in being the number one or number two seed for the Astros? I don't like any of those teams, especially for the Astros. Are (laughs) are the Giants going to get in or not? No, I'm kidding. The Giants are in the National League. They are not getting in, regardless of the moves they didn't make or made, you know, keeping Bumgarner. So the Giants are going down in flames. The A's... I grew up in the Bay Area. I'm a Giants fan, as we all know. I did get a lot of A's watching time in over the course of my upbringing and my life. I just, I would never want to play the A's in the playoffs. I think, like you said, what sticks in the mind is, or mind's eye, is what we just saw from the A's and the Astros last series, which was last week. And they can hit, they can pitch. They got a bunch of young guys that don't know how good they are. And I just think if you can stay away from that momentum train, that's fine. I think the Astros would do better against the Rays only in the sense that, you know, you have Verlander, Cole, and Granke uh, as a one, two, three, and the Rays have a deep pitching staff. But you guys could probably grind out a couple three, two, four, two, five, two wins versus trying to get into a 17 to 11 game. And the A's just seem to have no fear and they have a I mean, their lineup is potent. So I guess if you have a choice, you'd rather play the Rays. But when you get to this time of year, although you have the best record and you've done well all year long, the Yankees, A's, Rays, Twins, (laughs) you know, these are the the best teams in baseball. It's not like you guys want to go play the Twins. If you had a choice between the Yankees and the Twins, you'd probably rather play the Twins. But the Twins just set the record for most home runs in an entire season for uh, any team, I believe. And they're continuing to hit. I guess my only thing that I I always go to is good pitching beats good hitting. And in the playoffs, the Astros have the experience. And I think that would be your biggest advantage. Uh, And I say your biggest advantage, the Astros' biggest advantage playing 
the Twins maybe less experienced hitters and having Verlander and Cole to go out there and shut those guys down. Yeah, I agree. And I'm actually, I'm going to set you up right now. I, I want you to maybe try and help me explain why pitching beats the offense in these series. But uh, to the point of the Minnesota Twins, their pitching is a little shaky. They lost uh, Pineda because he got busted for PEDs. I'm with I'm with David Tuttle in the sense that I believe pitching beats good hitting, and I think we've seen that in the past. And just to go back to the Oakland A's situation, I believe that that recent history is something. I believe that if the Oakland A's do get into the playoffs and they show up at Minute Maid Park as a, as an opposing team, or if I'm the Astros and I see them roll in, guess how the A's are going to come out of that dugout? They're going to come out pretty cocky. And you hope that maybe it's a little overconfidence when they do come in, but they're going to come out cocky because they're going to remember the last time they were in that stadium. They took three out of four on the road against the Houston Astros. Granted, you didn't face Cole, Verlander, Granke, or Granke, Verlander, Cole, whatever whatever order you want to see those guys in. So that's going to be a little bit different. Presley's going to be healthy. Peacock, hopefully, is going to be healthy. So the bullpen's going to be a little bit different, and we know how those rosters shake out. So it's going to be different, but... I do believe as much as we talk about home field advantage, there is a little bit of a a mental edge maybe going to the Oakland A's in that situation. And I'm with you, Tuttle, as far as the Tampa Bay Rays. They're an appealing team. They're a tough team, a gritty, scrapping, analytic, whatever you want to call them type team. And everybody takes them for granted and they seem to overachieve. So that's a credit to Kevin Cash and what he's doing in Tampa Bay, getting these guys to play above what they might actually be. And they've got Blake Snell back. They've got Tyler Glass now back. So those are two big power arms that they're able to go out there. And talking about some of that momentum, the last time the Astros played them, they took two out of three at Minute Maid Park. And they beat arguably their best pitcher in Charlie Morton. They put a whooping on Charlie. And Charlie's, you know, has a tendency to kind of drag towards the end of the playoffs, but he's also got that playoff experience. So it's interesting, the matchups. But if I had to choose, it's not necessarily awful if you lost that home field advantage to the New York Yankees because the Yankees are terrible against the A's. They battle against the Rays all season long. So it's kind of interesting how those matchups set up. But it wouldn't be the worst thing if the Astros had that two seed and got to play the Minnesota Twins. You know, I don't know what the playoff atmosphere is going to be like in Minnesota in October. Is it going to be freezing cold? Are the fans going to be out there in fervent? That's a place where the Astros also have a lot of success as far as offense is concerned. That's not the worst case scenario. But it would be kind of interesting if the Astros played the Twins, moved into that ALCS, and maybe you play a beat-up New York Yankee team or you played a beat-up Oakland A team or Tampa Bay team. I think that's where you kind of have that fatigue set in and the Astros might have an opportunity. So those are some of the scenarios and some of the thoughts that I have on that playoff situation. But Tuttle being a pitcher, and we hear it all the time, good pitching beats good hitting. Why do you believe that? I mean, I've got my theories at the same time, but I want to hear it from a pitcher's side. Yeah, I wonder if our theories align. So the thing that I have is, and I think you can see it a little bit in the NFL quite often. I'll go to the NBA and the NFL, and then we'll get right back into it. So the NBA as well, when you're playing every two or three nights and you have that, people always talk about that target on your back. And the reason that they say, oh, you got a target on your back is because if you're a lowly team like Minnesota or Chicago or something like that, and you want to come in and prove yourself, you want to prove it against the best. And so very often the teams get you know the best punch from the other team. In the playoffs for baseball, you're only facing the guys that the manager has trust in and the guys that have put up the best numbers. So you will see this throughout the year as guys like Mike Trout and Bregman. I watch Bregman hit a lot because I've been watching the Astros. They feast. They feast on the four and five starters. They feast on those middle guys when the team's up. I think that's often why the Astros have such... The A's do the same thing but, but and the Yankees as well. But that's why they're such high-scoring games right now with the baseball. So when you have your Verlander and your Coles, I mean, Cole the other day throwing 99 to 100 in the fifth and sixth inning, and he's got a slider. And those guys are still up there taking swings, and you're like, wow. I mean, that stuff is electric. That's what you're going to see in the playoffs. It's all high leverage, high momentum innings. And you're not going to see that guy. You're not going to see the fifth starter come out of the bullpen to try and get out. You're facing the best guys with the best momentum and the best mindset in the game of baseball. And so every at-bat is a grind. And when you're grinding it out every at-bat, all those statistics, say you're a 300 hitter, maybe you're a 280 hitter against someone else, that means you know a 280 hitter, you're only going to get two hits, 2.8 hits out of every 10 at-bats. 
So if you're trying to only win three games in that division series and you're batting 250 or 280 because you're a 300 hitter all year long, but against the best guys, you're 250 to 275, you just don't have enough time to string things together. And then you pair that with the fact that not every guy in the lineup is like that. So that that's where we talk about the Astros lineup all year long. So if you can get through the third, fourth, fifth, sixth hitter in a lineup, now you're facing the eight, nine guy, then that's a, that's a reprieve for the pitcher as well. Like you cannot string it all together. So I know that's a, that's a ton of stuff because you wanted it from the pitcher's perspective, but basically you're getting the one, two or three starter. You're getting the late inning guys. You're getting the seventh inning guy, maybe earlier in the playoffs, the eighth inning guy and the ninth inning guy. Those are the five, six, seven best pitchers you're going to see in the playoffs with your usual lineup of maybe three superstars, two superstars, and the rest major league hitters, you just can't string stuff together. It's definitely tough. And, you know, that's why these teams are in the playoff. And to Tuttle's point, you're facing the best of the best. And every organization, when they set their roster, is going to put the best guys out there that they feel are going to go out there and get those outs. Now, you can change the roster from division series to championship series to world series because you're looking at matchups who you're playing against who which relievers match up best which guy in your rotation is going to match up mess best we have to remind ourselves hitting is not easy the pitcher has the advantage because they're making the decision on what to throw where to throw it and the hitter's job is to recognize and react and i think that's where you're kind of on deep not on defense but the reaction part of it's a little bit tougher and if you're facing the one, two, three in rotations, they're going to have the best stuff. If you're in a high leverage situation with a couple of runners on and the crowd is going bonkers, you're going to face the best reliever out of that bullpen because they're trying to keep you from scoring. And that brings up the other point, the stress factor. We know when in sports, whether it be football, basketball, hockey, baseball, the playoffs have a lot more scrutiny. You have to win three games. If you lose three games, you're done. You're going home. If you lose the fourth game, you're going home. So there's a lot more stress involved. Everything is magnified. You know from pitch to pitch, that could be the one pitch that wins or loses the game. And when things, when you have that mentality and you start to speed the game up a little bit, it makes hitting even harder. So that's where the advantage kind of moves towards the pitcher. And then the mistakes decrease because you're facing that one, two, three, the high leverage guy, that put away matchup guy in the back end of the bullpen. So you're not going to necessarily get the mistake that you would see from a four or five guy in the rotation. As a hitter throughout the regular season, I'm looking at the at facing an ace. If I can go one for four, one for three with a walk, over oh three with a walk, and just kind of minimize the damage, I'm in good shape. Maybe we catch him on an off day and he makes a couple mistakes and I get a couple of knocks and we move on. Uh, same thing with the two guy. The three guy, you might have higher expectations to go out there and get that third, fourth hit. But then you face the fourth and fifth guy in the, in the rotation. It's a known fact inside the dugout when you're in that lineup and you're facing that guy, you're like, all right, boys, this is where we go out and we get our numbers. we got to pile on, add on, get greedy. But those guys aren't necessarily into the mix in the playoffs in this day and age with the amount of information, the matchups, does this guy hit spin? Does this guy spin get this guy out? That's where all of a sudden all the numbers start to come in and you're facing the best of the best. And that's why I believe that pitching can suppress good hitting. But at the same time, it was kind of interesting in 2017 to hear all about the Dodgers bullpen and literally one swing of the bat off Kenley Jansen imploded that Dodgers bullpen for me. And as soon as you strike fear in that opponent's heart, then you have the advantage. But it's getting that one hit that's the problem. Yeah, I think we've referenced gambling before. I mean, uh, I have a friend who just cannot comprehend uh, hitting at blackjack when the dealer has a four and he has a three. He's like, I got a hit. I got a hit. No, no, no. You got to let the dealer hit and bust. There's scientific statistical analysis that backs all this stuff up. And I think that's what we're talking about here in baseball. As a manager or as a statistician, analytics guy, all you want to do is get your chips in the middle with the best chance of winning. Like you said, it doesn't mean the Dodgers bullpen wasn't up to snuff or up to par or doing the things that they were supposed to do. Basically, their job was to get the ball to, like you said, Kenley Jansen late in the game. You have a 92% chance of winning that game. And as you said, one swing of the bat can change it, especially in a best of five win three games or best of seven win four game series. That's what you're looking for. And, and I think we kind of circled around it and then we've probably beat the point to death. But you're only if you have a 12-man staff during the year, they're going to pare that down to like seven dudes. 
and you'll see seven dudes in a series, maybe a few more in a, in a five-game series versus a seven-game series. But you're going to have that really dialed in with who you trust. And then to your point, maybe there'll be a few matchup guys, like a lefty-lefty matchup or you know even a righty with a good matchup. You'll see that guy come in for one hitter as opposed to an inning or two innings. And I think everything gets heightened. Everything gets more hyper-focused. And that just makes it tougher, to your point, to be a hitter in in the playoffs. It is tough. And we know that the Astros have one of the advantages, if not the best advantage in all of Major League Baseball, if and when they do get to the playoffs, as far as setting the rotation, they are going to go in whatever order they want, whether it be Granky Cole Verlander, Verlander Cole Granky, which might be the actual rotation because that would be the one, two, three. But that's the easy part for the Houston Astros. I want to talk a little bit about that four spot because I believe up until yesterday, that would be the question in that Astros rotation as far as who's going to be the number four. Because if it's not Wade Miley, I'm not sure who it's going to be. Maybe it turns into a bullpen type situation and maybe, man, who knows, Jose Urquidy is a guy who sneaks on. But I don't want to get that far because we're not there yet. And I want to talk a little bit about Wade Miley because the two previous starts leading into the start that he had yesterday, he went a third of an inning and gave up 12 runs. Quick math on that, that is a 324 ERA, and it's not 3.24. His ERA in the last two games until yesterday was 324. That was an actual ERA for Wade Miley. Didn't look good, didn't get crushed necessarily, kind of got you know, bit by the by the cheap hit going the other way or off the end of the bat. He's always done a good job this season of creating soft contact. So I think that's a bonus for him. But he got busted on the shift a couple times against the Oakland A's. But nonetheless, it still added up to 12 runs in a third of an inning. And that's where you're like, huh? Because for 28 starts, this guy was very good, keeping a th- almost a flat three ERA. Now it's ballooned to almost four. And then we see yesterday... He goes six strong against the Kansas City Royals, scatters a couple of hits, gives up two earned runs. And as much as I want to believe in Wade Miley, people don't understand, too, that pitchers have slumps. That's something else that I I don't think we talk about enough is that hitters have a lot of slumps. We're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's 0 for his last 20. You know what? Pitchers have the same issue. And, And confidence takes a little bit of a beating. So there's a couple of aspects to the start that I saw yesterday that I want to talk to Tuttle about on the pitching side is that. Do you discount the six innings because it was against the Kansas City Royals? I don't. I wish sometimes in my career I had more belief from the folks behind. I mean, I, I behind me, like the people that made the decisions. I think we talked about this way early on in the podcast is that and we this kind of is a common theme throughout all the podcasts that we've had, which is people don't realize at a high level of sport, the difference between winning and losing and making the team and not making the team is so small. You and I played in the same division of college. Like, you know, we played against Cal and Stanford. You played against Stanford and USC. Like we played against all the same teams. You kind of knew who the standouts were, but the guys aren't that far off. And my thought off air last time was that maybe Miley was tipping his pitches. You can get a little dead arm pitchers to go through slumps. I think he could have been tipping his pitches. You said he got hurt by the, the shift a few times at this level. We, Now we're talking about the analytics again, the shift and the pitch choice and location and all that stuff. It does come into play in the sense that you're trying to get your chips in the middle of the table with the best chance to win. And it sounds like that Miley wasn't doing that for a couple starts, but I would take his 28 starts over the last two and use that as a foundation for the decision making. Now, Will the leash be shorter? We already touched on this too. Yeah. If you're up two games to none, maybe AJ wants to give Miley a chance. So maybe he puts Granky in that four spot, gives everybody a rest. You're up two games to none. Let Miley go out in the playoffs and see what he can do. And if he shows what he's shown for 28 starts as opposed to the last two, then Miley gets confident again. And now heading into the seven game series, as you move forward, Now you might be rocking because that's the other part of the manager. We talk about the statistical analysis and getting yourself in a position. You now have a clubhouse that's even tighter than it was before. And I think that's the hardest part about struggling is you want your teammates to to have faith in you. You want your manager to have faith in you. And we've talked about this a few podcasts as well. So I think I don't care if it's the Kansas City Royals, Detroit Tigers, or any other team. Miley needs to get right. Hopefully yesterday got his confidence right. That should bode well for the playoffs, but we'll see how AJ uses him. If he's not tipping his pitches and he's locating, I would stick with the foundation that he laid most of the year as opposed to the last two. And lastly, 
the ERA thing, I can calculate that in my head ASAP. You said it was 324. I know when you throw zero innings, you give up a five spot, that that's a infinite ERA. There's no way to, if you haven't recorded out, you have an infinite ERA. And I was always trying to stay away from that number. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one to stay away from. But it, you don't see that number too often. And it's kind of interesting when you do see it pop out because it, it jumps big time and doesn't fit on a lot of stat sheets. I agree with you. No matter who you're out there facing, it doesn't matter. You're going to get confidence one way or another. It's like saying you're in a slump and you get a broken bat base hit. You're not going, oh, that's not going to do anything for him. Are you kidding me? That is doing everything for me as a hitter. I'm like, oh my gosh, there is open space out there. The baseball gods have shined on me and I finally got a hit. So that's kind of maybe the metaphor, the similarity between hitting and pitching is Miley doesn't care who he's getting out as long as he's getting somebody out right now. And hopefully he does get a little confidence in these next couple of starts. I'm with you on the tipping thing, but the tipping thing is kind of iffy for me because if he is, somebody in that dugout's got to be screaming at him or telling the catcher, go talk to him. He's tipping, change. Granted, he didn't have many opportunities because he was only out there for a third of an inning and two starts. But I feel like the tipping thing could be corrected instantly, and then it turns into a mechanical issue. Was it a mechanical issue? And I think yesterday we saw him, he was getting a little more extended because his cutter was getting kind of flat and breaking a little bit earlier. So I think he extended a little bit better, created a little bit sharper movement on that cut fastball, and it enabled him to get to the changeup. And with him extending on the changeup, I mean, I'm an idiot when it comes to mechanics, but I I have a decent idea because it's similar to hitting. But the extension on the pitch is what I really didn't see from Miley in the two previous starts. Got kind of muscly. You know as well as I do, when you get kind of muscly, everything gets kind of cut off and short, and you don't have that length to it. And the length really helped him out. I love that you brought up that we've talked about the shifts because, yes, analytics are there to help you, but you have to adjust. And this is why there's managers in the dugout who have physical hearts and brains and eyes because they can see the situation. I didn't see as many shifts that last time out against the Royals. Yes, it's a different team. Maybe they play them defensively a little bit different, but they really backed off on the shifting and played a more traditional defense behind Wade Miley. And hey, it worked out a little bit. Going into the playoffs, I'm with you in the sense that I'm going to give Wade Miley a shot. He had experience last year, pitched great in the 2018 playoffs for the Milwaukee Brewers. So I've got a veteran getting his confidence back, has playoff experience, and you talked about, hey, you don't have to lean on him for six innings. You can lean on him for a good, maybe even one time through the order, or maybe a time through the order and a half. Don't have to go with that hopeful extent. And how about this for a thought? We talked about that American League Division Series. You only need three wins. Guess how many great starters you have in your rotation? Three. You could go Verlander, Cole, Granke, and you don't even need Wade Miley. I agree, but I also think that'd be a great chance to build up his confidence because if he doesn't pitch in that three-game series and you either start him, you'll have enough breaks, so then you go back to Verlander, Cole, and Granke. That means he may not pitch. Maybe it's 2-1. to one. I guess ideally it would be 3-0, three, three but you know it might be 1-1 one to one or 2-1 two to one now in the ALCS. And now Miley's going to go out and he hasn't been on the mound in 15 days or 20 days. So I'm no manager. I'm not telling AJ how to manage. I'm thinking, though, if you could build his confidence in a position of strength as opposed to a position of, oh, my gosh, you know, if Miley goes out there and struggles tonight, now we're in a hole. It's two to two or it's he lost to put us in a position to lose. And now we got to really lean on Verlander and Cole. So we can dance around it. I think you're right. You're around the team a lot more than I am. I always remember when, maybe not as generous in the minor leagues, but when a hitter was looking at their pitcher, I would ask guys in my own dugout to see if there was something going on. And I think you probably have more insight to the shift because you're right. Somebody on this team, like Bregman, would be like, hey, dude, you're, uh, you're definitely tipping your pitches. This is how you're doing it. Or Brantley, somebody would go over and tell him, especially after two starts like that. It probably has a lot more to do with what you said. And then it goes to the confidence because, as you said, we go to golf or hitting. It's the same as pitching, right? When you when you flush a ball in golf and you don't feel it at all, you don't feel it hit your club head and it just goes. That's the same with pitching. You're talking about extension and feel. When you're tight and you're muscling the ball, your velocity goes down, the pitch doesn't move. There's so many little things in there. So it's nice to see Miley get right, even if he was playing the bad news bears. It doesn't matter. Let's hopefully let's hope his confidence gets up and he's an integral part of the team like he's been all year. Confidence is strong, and you get a good idea of Tuttle's personality, too. He wants to you know, get these guys going and get them right, and that's another part that A.J. Hinch has to use as a manager is how do you get these guys' minds right to go out there and compete. But one luxury, well, 
These are all first place problems, which is kind of nice for AJ Hinch. But he also has the luxury of putting a guy that I love in this lineup in Jordan Alvarez. I want to put to bed everybody who tweets at me, Jordan doesn't play a position. How can you compare him to other players? Stop. He is the rookie of the year. He is arguably the best. He's been the best player since June 9th in all of baseball, whether he plays a position or doesn't play a position. So stop the talk. I can't vote for Jordan for rookie of the year because he doesn't play a position. Give me a break. This guy alone increases your chances of winning just by standing in the box as opposed to other guys who do both. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., yes, he plays third base. He has 17 errors. As a third baseman, he has a fielding percentage. I couldn't believe this when I wrote it down. He has a fielding percentage of 931. Do you know what the best of the best and all of the average guys have? Like a 979 or better. If you're making that many errors, you're hurting your team. So you have a negative defensive war. You have negative defensive metrics, and you're actually hurting your team. He could go, he would have to go out there and hit two home runs a game to make up for that amount of errors. So don't give me that. He's out. Eloy Jimenez, a guy for the Chicago White Sox, he's playing left field. He only has two errors, but he's a negative defensive war guy because he doesn't have the range to track down some of these hits. And the other thing for me with Jordan that you have to take into account is if Jordan is playing for the Blue Jays, if Jordan is playing for the Chicago White Sox, guess what he is doing? He is playing the outfield because those teams have room to have him play in the outfield. There's another luxury the Astros have. It's called Michael Brantley, Josh Reddick, George Springer, Jake Marisnik, and now Kyle Tucker. He may be the worst outfielder on the team, but look at who he's worst behind. He's not terrible. But those guys are that much better. And if you're going to go out and win ball games, you're going to go out with that defensive setup to help your pitchers out. But Jordan is rookie of the year. Don't give me all this junk about, oh, he doesn't play defense. There are rookies out there that play defense and stink. He does more offensively to help you win than those guys do combined offensively and defensively. Tuttle, how do you feel about the defensive argument? I mean, Edgar Martinez just got into the Hall of Fame as a purely designated hitter. Give me a break. This is the third podcast in a row that Jordan has been like the, the main crux of the, the Astros piece here. That should have been a, a speech for Blum and Blummer. You know, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, you can only play by the rules that you're allowed to play by. So the American League has a DH, correct? That is correct. That's a position. They haven't outlawed the DH yet. When they outlaw the DH, then we can have a different conversation. So you're using the rules that the game has established. So that's a position. And to your point, when you have Marisnik and Tucker and Brantley and Springer and Reddick, the list goes on and on. I mean, they, they got rid of guys. Yeah, they did. You're right. They had so much room. Like Kemp played the outfield for a while and he's playing with the Cubs. Derek Fisher. Yeah. I mean, they got rid of guys and that's the reason he's not playing. And I think I don't buy the playing a defense argument in the sense that there is a position for him. It's called DH and the Astros are utilizing it to their best of their ability. The other thing I can say from the defensive side is I remember my first year playing professional baseball. I don't know if I should name the pitching coach because I don't want to throw him under the bus. He played with the Cubs and he was a pitcher. I'll get his permission next time. And Ryan Sandberg was a second baseman. And Ryan Sandberg had the all-time record of fielding percentage of second baseman. This guy had more swear words to say about Ryan Sandberg. He said, did you ever see that guy dive for a ground ball? Did you ever see him move more than two feet? Like Ryan Sandberg, like, hey, he finished the year with a thousand yep. fielding percentage. Do you know how many plays, like when we talk about defensive war, this guy, it was the funny... Get on a late night bus ride with a six pack of beer and this dude, he had so many negative things to say about Ryan Sandberg. So Ryan, if you're listening, not everybody loves you. And I know Ryan Sandberg is a great player and you know he was a great hitter especially. But man, you got everybody likes a guy, especially pitchers who get their uniform dirty. And Ryan Sandberg didn't do it. It sounds like with uh, Eloy Jimenez, he's only made two errors. They're, they're hiding him somewhere. But I mean, how is that even possible? So I, I, I'm obviously on the same side as you are. And, and like I said, if this was the National League and they kind of moved him around and played first base and hit him over here and only played him in the uh, DH role when there was interleague play or something like that, we'd have a different discussion. But I think last time we said 47 home runs with 147 ribbies. I know it's more than that. I watched him hit a home run last night that never got higher than like 15 feet off the ground. So 
I, I will take your word for it that he's rookie of the year. But yeah, the defensive argument holds no water. Yep. He is going to be rookie of the year. Your Don. He's not my Don. He's your Don. And he's all of our Don Alvarez. He's going to win rookie of the year. The magic number for the Houston Astros, I believe, as we sit here on September 16th, is six. So that's a combination of Astro wins, A's losses could speed that up. I anticipate them clinching the Western Division here on this homestand. They have two against the Texas Rangers, and then the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are coming into town who are absolutely obliterated. Maybe next podcast we can talk about Mike Trout going on the shelf, the chances of Alex Bregman becoming an MVP candidate, if not winner. So that should be an interesting weekend. And Presley, rumor has it he is throwing well. Brad Peacock threw a bullpen. Carlos Correa is coming back. It's going to probably turn into an abbreviated like spring training appearances for these guys to get some, get their legs under them, get some of that game action under their belt uh, moving forward. But that is all we've got for the Houston Astros updates. Thank you for filling me in because I didn't know about Correa and or uh, Presley or Peacock. The other thing it made me think of is Miley and Peacock. You had Peacock kind of the long guy. He's that kind of do everything, maybe jack of all trades guy. If you guys get up two nothing in a series, you could have Peacock and Miley kind of ready to go. Start one of them and back the other one up. And like I said, this isn't how AJ should manage, but if you really have a 25-man roster in the playoffs and you're going to have like Tucker, who's obviously raking right now, but he might be just your pinch runner, right? And you're filling here or there. Why not have those guys who are integral parts of the team during the regular season find their role and get some confidence and maybe he can utilize Peacock and Miley that way. Quick shout out here before we get into my favorite part of the podcast or your favorite part of the podcast, uh, Crush City Tees is the place to go for custom H-Town baseball tees, direct-to-garment machine. They can make your idea a reality with no minimums, no setup fees, and unlimited colors. Crush City Tees, T-E-E-S dot com. They provide embroidery and screen printing, design and printing in Houston. Those guys are hooking us up with our Bleacher Blums t-shirts. The last three podcasts we've been wearing them, they're doing a great job. So head over to Crush City Tees. Maybe they'll even have a special uh, playoff tee for you guys over there, as well as your Bleacher Blums tees that you can wear out to the stadium. Get your Crush City tees because in the playoffs, there's a really good chance you're going to see me in the stands watching some of the Astros baseball with my Bleacher Blums t-shirt on, if not the one that just popped out there because Jordan Alvarez makes me a little tingly. But it is now time in this podcast. Tuttle, I mean, Tuttle loves this segment himself. And why wouldn't he? Because it's named after him. Waddle, Tuttle, Say. Waddle, Tuttle, Say. Today, our little two-topic uh, formula seems to be working. My first topic today, Blummer, you're going to, I mean, this is so easy. This is like, you know, throwing 85 right down the middle. Uh, you're going to jump right on this too. So I was at Dick's Sporting Goods and I haven't shared this with you yet, but my daughter uh, who played two years of softball, she's 10 years old, wanted to play Little League this year. Now she's playing soccer in the fall, but she thought, all right, if I want to play Little League, I'm not sure if I, you know, the game's a little faster, the boys are a little tougher. I will play fall baseball and see how it goes. So she is not playing softball. She's playing baseball. The other day at the end of practice, the coach gave him the cup conversation and my daughter was there like puzzled, like, what? What's a cup? Oh, a cup. Oh, okay. So she's, you know, she's catching on quick. Like she's like, she knows she's different. She knows it's different playing with the boys, but the cup conversation went right over her head. But we went up to Dick's to grab some baseball pants. You have Dick's Sporting Goods in Houston, don't you? Yeah, Dick's and Academy Sports. So yeah. we went up to Dick's Sporting Goods and there was a guy at the front counter making this loud thumping sound like boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, what is going on? He had a mallet and he was breaking in a baseball glove and he had just embroidered it with the name like Mikey on it. And I was like, oh my God, I, I had to go. I said, these guys are all younger than I am, as you know. So it was like some 20 year old kid. Are you breaking in a baseball glove for someone? They're like, yeah, they bought it yesterday. We embroider it and then we break it in for him and then we give it to him. I'm like, what is the world coming to? Are you serious? My favorite part of getting a brand new baseball glove. And then when I got to pro ball, we got a ton of baseball, was breaking in the glove. I used to get a little oil, you know, I would get that, you know, get the ball, put it in there, wrap it with a sanitary sock. Like, and you know, I could just play catch with that thing. I'd walk around the house. My mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm breaking in my new glove. As we got to pro ball, 
gloves aplenty. I've got like seven still sitting in, in my closet here <laughs> collecting dust yeah. unless I play catch. I couldn't believe it. I was hoping that when they go to pick up the glove that they still break it in more. But my favorite thing about getting a new baseball glove, aside from the smell of the leather and the little fuzz and the... I love that your hand smelled like leather and maybe a little glove oil and you had to keep pounding that thing in and the first eight, ten, you know, ten days you had it, somebody throw you a ball and it would clank right out. You're like, oh, clanked another one, clank, clank, because you had to work <laughs> that thing in. Are kids not breaking in their baseball gloves these days? I don't know. You are you have daughters, so I'm not sure you know, but I was just flabbergasted. And maybe that's just a way to help them. You know, maybe that's like factory help there and you get there and it's kind of broken in, but... I just was hoping that the kids still get the same thrill of getting a brand new glove and breaking it in the way they want to break it in. Well, well, first of all, I'm glad that you took advantage of the cup conversation to have a teaching moment. Now I can't wait for you to talk about manscaping with your daughter and why you have that read on your podcast. And just a note, make sure you go to manscaped.com and enter the code BLUMS for 20% off and free shipping. These are the conversations we've got to have as fathers of daughters. But at the same time, this is a great conversation topic for parents of baseball players. Because yes, breaking in the glove is such a personal thing. And I'm with you in the sense, stop doing everything for your kids for the love of God. Let them understand how hard it is to break that glove in because it's that's part of what makes it personal. You're taking the time, you're nurturing this, you're molding it, you're making it the way you want so you know when that ball goes in your glove, you know where to reach to turn that double play, how to make that play, and you have the confidence and trust. That is what you're building up when you're breaking in this glove. You're building a trust between you and that leather to go out there and make the play for your team. Embrace the moment and the struggle. That being said, the other fun part is, is how many different damn theories are there on breaking in a glove? Is it not incredible? I mean, you you talked about, you know, oiling it up, putting the softball in like the top part of the glove, put the baseball in the lower part, wrap that thing in a sanitary, put it in a safe spot, wait a couple of days, grab that thing, and then run outside and play catch with it. You start clanking things all over the place. You're like, damn it, I got to put it in there again. Lube that thing up. I, I even went to the extent when I was a kid, I put it underneath my mattress. I slept on top of this thing. There would be a lump at the foot of my bed because my glove was under there. But I grinded through it because I knew that that was going to make me better. That was going to make my glove better. And you know what? The best way to break in my glove, I didn't find out until 2008 in the big leagues. Gary Reedus. Parents, if you're listening to this, baseball players, if you're listening to this, get a notepad because this works. And it works for, like Tuttle was saying, for his daughter. It worked for my daughter who, who played uh, softball, got a new glove. You've got to be able to have this thing mold to your hands. So in 2008 or nine, Lance Berkman was having knee surgery, and I was going to have to be the opening day first baseman. I was planning on being the third baseman. I got a glove from Rawlings, Heart of the Hide, which is hands down the best glove ever made. The leather is perfect, and it's one of those leather gloves where if you do break it in properly, it will not go away. I had a part of the hide glove at third base for nine years in the big leagues. It became a part of me, and I was in a little bit of a panic. And I and Gary Reedus was a, a minor league coordinator, a minor league coach, and he comes up to me and he sees me you know, doing the same thing. I'm slamming a you know a glove hammer into the palm of the glove. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to use this thing. He goes, what the hell are you doing? I go, dude, I'm trying to break this thing in, man. I'm going to be a first baseman this year. And Gary goes, do you trust me? I said, yeah. I mean, you got time in the big leagues. Of course I trust you. He goes, give me your glove. He takes my heart of the hide first baseman glove, takes it into the training room, and he puts Abilene, which is like a Vaseline. It's just an industrial size container of Vaseline, but it's called Abilene. And he loads up the, the pocket of the glove, which is basically the inside of the glove on the palm and just lubes this thing up. I mean, like just lathers it, nice little coat on there. And he did a little bit in the web, takes it, puts it in the industrial size dryer on high for 10 minutes. He took it from there and took me outside and goes, start playing catch. Let's play catch. So the glove is hot. It's warm on my hand as I put it in. We play catch for about 10, 15 minutes. And guess what? My hand, as that thing cooled off, that thing molded to my hand. And every time the ball hit the pocket of my glove in the spot that I wanted to, guess what got broken in? That pocket. So 
Vaseline the palm of your glove, dryer for 10 minutes. Mom's going to get pissed because that thing's going to go and they sound like you're going to break your dryer. Go out and play catch with dad, sister, brother, mom. Break that thing in. Do it a couple times. Love it. Money. I love it. I know guys that used to soak it in the bathtub as well. Everyone, like you said, it's a very personal thing. I happen to love Rawlings Heart of the Hide as well. It's just disheartening. I'm, I'm, I, I treat that thing like a pet. They say dogs are man's best friend. It's like when I had it, when I got a new glove, you know, when I was making the little league all-star team, I was like, man, this thing is great. You know, I would sleep with it under my pillow. I'd like I said, tie a sanitary around it, play catch with it. Mm-hmm. Man, I love that thing. All right. So the next topic in what'll Tuttle say, we're always off the, off the train tracks with this topic. So I got a new one for, for you, Blummer. This is just like your <laughs> AirPods one. So now texting and driving, we all know is a thing. There's people looking down, there's people drifting, there's people doing all kinds of stuff. The new one is I was out early to go work out the other morning and in California, I'm assuming they have this all over the country. Basically, there's a sensor. They build sensors into the road that hold the light, right? So if you're in the left-hand turn lane and you're waiting there, then it'll switch and it'll go. So now in the morning, when they kind of pull up to these lights, there's no one around, So I pulled up to the left turn to go left. The person not going my direction, not coming in my direction, the person going the opposite direction, I am kind of across the intersection. It's like 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. So there's no one out. They're texting on their phone, but they're sitting at the light. The light has gone green, but they're looking at their phone. And so the light stays green in their direction, almost like it's a line of cars. Like, oh, I can't turn the light the other way. So they're holding up traffic for everybody. And there's only one person at that light. And so now I'm honking, not at a person in front of me, not next to me. I'm honking at a person clear across the intersection to get them to look up. And I honk and I'm so far away, they don't even look for like three honks. They look around startled and they're like, oh. And then they go in front of me and make a left turn. And then my light turns and I get to go. That's a huge issue now. So now it's not people cutting you off and driving like a maniac. It's not people not using their signal. Now... It is people going a completely different direction at the light, holding up the light while you're sitting there, like tapping your fingers, looking at them like, what? They're holding up the light. Like, go, go, go. I can always find something to get upset about. That's my new thing. Drivers are holding up the light. They're not even going in your damn direction. And you're honking at them and they're clueless. Tuttle, I had no idea how selfish you were. Not only do you love what'll Tuttle say on our podcast, you want the guy across the way to get off his phone so that you can go. This is unbelievable. I can't believe that you're that ri- you're that rigid in your own ways. You're like, hey, dude, go. I, it's my turn. You're you're holding me up. You're that guy in the back of the line that's like, hey, the register over there is open. Go. Oh, I am that guy at the airport too. Like see that guy 10 over with his hand in the air, like swinging it like crazy. That's where you're supposed to go. Like, hey, buddy, pay attention. That's me. Selfish Tuttle. Get get your head out of your phone. Focus on my needs and speed things up for the love of Pete. Let's go. No, I'm I'm with you on that. I mean, that's the problem with the cell phones is the lack of awareness because it's become, it's human nature to maybe be a little bit selfish, but now you've got a phone so you can really internalize everything and not look to the outside world and understand that. And it also might be that driver's lack of knowledge, knowing that they are sitting on that stupid sensor that uh, is supposed to be helping the flow of traffic. But guess what? The human is not helping the flow of traffic. And you know what drives me nuts is those sensors are there. But a lot of the times I know that I've noticed that the ones, especially in our neighborhood, might be on a little bit of a timer. So when I get home at 1130 at night after a 27 to one win for the for the Houston Astros and I'm just burnt because I had to come up with some crazy ideas to talk about to get through a four hour game and the Astros blowing people up. I'm in the left turn lane. And the people that go straight on both sides of the road I'm on are going, but I can't get a left turn signal because there's nobody coming at me crossing that intersection. You talk about fighting temptation. I have looked over my shoulder 38 times every night going, I'm going to go. I'm just going to run the red light. I'm going to go. Screw it. But always by the time I actually get the courage to go, guess what? The light turns green, thankfully. Yeah, it just pushes you right to the end of your patience. You know, (laughs) I've seen people do that. that. I don't even think that's a new thing. People use that as a yeah. kind of like a yield green now. They pull up, 
Oh, there's no one coming at me. I'll just go. I see people run that all the time. That's that didn't even that didn't even make Waddle Tuttle say. That's not even on my radar. I think that's a common California like courtesy. Like, oh, I'm not gonna wait for the red arrow to go green. I'm just gonna go when no one's coming straight at me. And if I were you, twenty seven to one, four hours, eleven thirty at night and you're in your neighborhood, I might go too. <laughs> but you didn't hear that on the podcast, right? Hey, uh, just one last thing because we might not get to it later on. Uh, fantasy football. I hadn't refreshed our page and the guy we played last week, we beat. And I was like, it had us matched up against him this week. And I was like, oh my God, he had the, whoo, his number's way up there. We are one player away tonight from putting ourselves in a good position in this new uh, fantasy football league we're in. That's all I'm going to say. I know jinxes are for the week, but we'll just wait till the week ends and then we can talk about fantasy football next week. That's enough for what will Tuttle say because it's, I'm part of this podcast too and I want to move on a little bit. Uh, and our website we keep plugging is bleacherblums.com. We couldn't have done it without just Geek It Solutions. They do a great job building servers, repairing servers, and a lot of that is on the business side that they help you out. They've helped us out. Their customer service is off the charts. They've done a great job in coordinating with us and getting a website up that is conducive to the consumer out there so that you get as much knowledge as you can. They have answered all of our questions and more. So just geekitsolutions.com is where you can go find them. Not only do they do business, they do plenty of residential. So if you have any of your IT needs fulfilled, make sure you go to justgeekitsolutions.com. And now we are moving on. The final segment of this show for the Bleacher Blums is going to be Blum and Blummer. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. Jeff Blums. Full of shit, man. And you heard me tease it a little bit earlier in this show. I think if I were commissioner and I'm trying to engage fans a little bit more, and I'm going to try and compete with the NFL because the month of September obviously has NFL and college football on Saturdays and Sundays and Thursday nights, Monday nights. They just try and maximize their coverage as far as a sport. I am here to tell you that as commissioner, I would shorten the season by 12 games. I would go out there, play 150 games. A lot of you are going to get mad at me because integrity of the season, it's been 162 games forever. I agree with you. I love the integrity of the game. But there's a couple of things happening around the, the league that kind of make me wonder if this might not be a bad idea. Number one, Hall of Fame numbers are changing. In order to get into the Hall of Fame, it's going to change a little bit. We know that numbers are shrieking, shrinking. It's not the 3,000 strikeouts. It's not the X number of innings pitched. There's a lot of other peripheral numbers that go into that. So back off on the innings. Guys aren't getting up to those numbers. So we're going to have to adjust the, the requirements to get into the uh, Hall of Fame. And the same goes for hitters too. It's not 3,000 hits anymore. It's, you know, it's batting average, whip, it's OPS, it's a bunch of peripheral numbers. Guys are obviously going out there and hitting home runs and driving in a lot of runners. So the home runs, RBIs, and I also think it would encourage longevity in some of these careers where these guys wouldn't have to shut it down after maybe six or seven years. Maybe they get a couple more years out of these guys and they can get that resume built up. The money, don't give me the money. 12 games, maybe you take a million dollars off a contract if it's one of those bulk major mega deals. Uh, guys are going to get their money. The money will adjust. And it might help the ball club invest a little bit more in those clubs and create a roster where they can have more guys who are of a high quality because those 12 games are backed off. Two teams have already clinched in the major leagues right now, the Atlanta Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Maybe it's a National League thing. The American League seems to be a little bit more widespread as far as good teams. But if teams are clinching on September 5th, what are we playing the other two weeks for? Those teams would love to be able to back off and clinch and go into a playoff situation because the 12 extra games, are you're going to increase innings. You're going to increase possibility of getting hurt. Spring training is already ridiculously long. Shorten the season. September rosters are dumb. I know they're going to change, but we just went through a series where I had to write in about 15, 16 pitchers into a bullpen column, shorten the September month, shorten the rosters. Everybody's happy because that'll shorten the games. How about the weather? We talk about it a lot. The Minnesota Twins are going to be in the playoffs. Do you want to play in Minnesota in September or do you want to play in October? 
My goodness. We the last couple of years that we've gone into Halloween, we're picking out Halloween costumes and the, we're picking out size of rings. Let's speed things up. Take those two weeks off. Middle of October, you're you're done competing with the NFL. You're done competing with Halloween. Guys' careers may be elongated. Tuttle, what do you think? Am I nuts? Are you talking about your nuts again? Wait a minute. It seems to be a theme in this show. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's veer off that. Manscaped.com, 20% discount code is Blums, B-L-U-M-S. Hey, uh, so the weather is important, and I think it's funny because the Yankees are always in it. So you can add Minnesota, New York, these outdoor stadiums. Chicago's not that great <laughs> about October. Oh, from experience, yeah. yeah. October 20th uh, to, you know, November 1st, somewhere in there. So, uh, yeah, I think baseball is a summer. It's a spring-summer sport. We've turned it into a winter sport to compete. And, and the people I talk to, I mean, outside of the diehard fans of the Bleacher Blums podcast and some of the baseball analytic nerds, 150 games, I think, would be fine. A lot of people get bored, as you said. That it gets longer and longer and longer and longer. And we've already touched on in this podcast the one, two, and three starters. Granted, I would have been a fifth starter in the big leagues, maybe an 11th, 12th guy in the rotation out of the bullpen. But yeah, more fans would love to go see Verlander and Cole throw every night as well. Honestly, let's be truthful, right? So you want to see the guys throwing 95, 99 that are at the best of their craft, facing guys like Trout and Bregman and Jordan Alvarez and and Altuve, and the list goes on and on. So that would make the season a little more exciting as well, the regular season. And me personally, I don't watch hockey until the playoffs. I don't typically watch basketball, the NBA, until the playoffs. And I love playoff baseball. So when you like teams like the Giants and the A's and now I'm following the Astros, I can't – I'll throw you a bone every once in a while and listen to your, your, uh, your broadcast, but I can't keep up with all of it. When the playoffs start is when the diehard fans, even real, you know, people that get into the analytics, really enjoy baseball as a game. So I'm with you. I, I don't see any harm in shortening the season. And it used to be 150 anyway. You're exactly right. Tuttle brought up an even better point, and that's why he's on this show, and that's why our banter is as good as we can possibly get it because he brings up that idea of people watch playoff sports. And I'm with Tuttle in the sense that I don't watch NBA basketball on a regular basis. When they get to the playoffs, you better believe I'm tuning in. So if you're going to compete with the NFL, why don't you put your best product out there? And that's what the playoffs do for all sports. And that's why a lot of people tune in late. And the next thing we just need to do is be able to get local broadcasters on some of those playoff shows so everybody in in their region can be happy with that. And just another note on that, that's enough for Blum and Blummer. We've done a very good job of chewing on your ear. We always appreciate you guys subscribing and listening. We're going to work on a playoff schedule. Teams are going to start to clinch here in the next week, week and a half. So we'll be able to nail down some of the ideas that we have, and we will move forward with that. But as of right now, plan on hearing David Tuttle and myself for some playoff baseball. I'm in. We'll come up with a schedule next week and we'll share it with you folks. Uh, I did have a quick uh, little shout out here to uh, James at Texas Sound Design Studio. He does the post-production for the Bleacher Blums podcast. Fans, folks, everybody that listens out there, you may have noticed that uh, we're using Jeff Blum as our producer for quite some time. And I think we did a darn good job. But the last three or four podcasts here, we've been using James at Texas Sound Design Studio. And hopefully you guys are noticing a difference. He's been specializing in digital audio production for the last 20 years. If you can imagine it, he can do it. Music, podcasts, commercials, radio ads, recording, mixing, mastering, and audio restoration. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, making a commercial, or need your music mixed or mastered, call James and he'll get you going. Make it sound right with Texas Sound Design. You can go to texassounddesign.com or call or text 409-420-1199. We'd love to hear your feedback on that in the mailbag as well, because we think the podcast sounds better. And as this thing grows, we got to get the professionals involved. And James has done that for us. So thanks a lot, James. Uh, I think that's going to do it. Blummer, my shout out to the usual, the military first responders are, you know, I mean, we can't say enough. We talked about it last last podcast, right before 9-11. The next day, Cal posted uh, both the guys, Mark Bingham and uh, Woodall, both those guys that you were talking about. And we're just really thankful to live in a free country with people that are out there running into danger and doing things that we wouldn't do so that we can do this podcast and live in a, in a wonderful country. So, Blummer, it's been another good podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I know you have the, off, the day off today, so hopefully that goes well. 
Folks, we'll have, I promise, we keep teasing this, we'll have more uh, Monopoly money bets one of these days. Our fantasy football update will come next time. And as much as I like to talk about gambling and betting, don't bet on it, folks. Don't bet on it. Nicely done, Tuttle. Great job again this week. Always good with the information and some of the issues in the world that we have to deal with. A lot of fun talking about those kinds of topics. We appreciate your engagement. We always will. And we always appreciate those first responders, the military, those who obviously get in harm's way to keep us safe and allow us to go out here and reap the benefits of being in a country where we can literally go out and do anything we want and be the best that we can at it. And a lot of the inspiration behind the work that Tuttle does, the work that I do, is because we know those first responders are out there and those troops are protecting us to allow us to go out there and be the best that we possibly can. It's a lot of motivation for us. So know that we are thinking about you and we will never, never not give you guys credit for uh, the ability that we have to go out here and have fun. And speaking of having fun, make sure you go to bleacherblums.com, get in that mailbag section, send us some comments, send us some shout outs, send us some conversation topics, because at this time next week, we're hoping to have one of those episodes where we take some of that fan interaction. I don't know, Tuttle, we may try and get back on here, maybe the end of the week, going into the weekend. I'm not sure how you feel about that. Any ideas? No, no, I think that might be possible. Like you said, we're at the last, I guess if they clinch the magic number six, maybe we'll have some reason to get on. We're, we're dragging in here, right? Like you said, the September call-ups and writing in names on the rosters. I don't know how much we'll have to share. Maybe folks just want to hear how our fantasy football team did, and we could always do that. But for sure, early next week. And then early next week, we should have nailed in or dialed in the schedule for the playoffs. Big things happening for Bleacher Blums, and a lot of it has to do with everybody out there. And you know it's that time of the podcast where we tell you to get after it, and most of all, believe it. through